Hello, I'm Curtis Bowers, and this is Agenda Weekly. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. I really appreciate it. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and New Year's. Um, it's a fun time of year. There's a lot of fellowship, a lot of family time usually, and, and just a lot of time enjoying those that you love. It's, it's a great time of year. I want to encourage you as we're entering this new year, some of you that haven't joined in on Fasting Fridays, I want to explain that real quick. What we do, those that are new or haven't done it in the past, we just go from Thursday night after dinner, so you eat dinner on Thursday night, but you don't eat anything after dinner until Friday night dinner. So it's a 24-hour fast, but you're really just skipping then breakfast and lunch on Friday. And during those times, you're just spending it in prayer uh, when you would normally be having breakfast and lunch. Just praying for our country, praying for your family, praying for your community, your church. Just that God would give you clear direction in, in the things you're doing, that you'd be obedient and, and on and on. But I just, I think it's one of the greatest things we can do to make a big difference. And uh, then also the weekly memory verse. Um, those that haven't done that, taking the time to memorize those each week. I encourage you to do it. Both of those things, they build character, discipline. They benefit your Christian walk because you, you're maturing in that. And um, Anyway, but today what we're going to be talking about is prepping and planning for 2023 this year. I know we want to have a great year this year. We want to accomplish a lot. We want to be productive. We want to make a difference. We want to grow. We want to accomplish all the things God would have us accomplish. But I've learned in life, and you probably have too, things don't happen by accident. You have to have a plan, you have to be committed to it, and you have to take the time necessary to really think through it carefully so it's a good plan. It's a realistic plan. And we're going to talk about some of that. My daughters married two brothers, which was kind of fun. And both of those boys, Joshua and Carson, are young men that are so organized in in good stewards of their time, of their finances. And I've learned a lot from them because they just, they get so many things done in so little amount of time. And I realize the more I've been around them over the last six, seven years is I need to be more like that. So it's motivated me to, to try to keep working toward being that type of person. Um, because when you have a plan, things just go a lot better than when you don't have a plan. But anyway, Joshua is one of the ones that helps with Agenda Weekly. And he, uh, I know many of you have talked to him and emailed him and things like that. But that's what we're going to talk about today. And I think it'll be a blessing to help you get things in line before we start progressing through this year and doing the things that God would have us to do. But thank you again for joining me. Hopefully since last week, you took the time to kind of review 2022, just in all the things you were able to accomplish, all the things God allowed you to do, all the ways God blessed and protected and directed, to take an inventory of that, to remember. It's very important to do that. But now as we go into 2023, we want to have a plan. We want to be, okay, I'm ready to, to really make a difference this year, really maximize my time. And so... I'm going to go through several different categories here. The first is, these are just five general principles to start with on setting goals and on trying to make a difference. They're from Michael Hyatt, who's famous for helping people get organized. But number one, keep them few in number. 
five to 10 goals is where you should focus. A lot of people want to do everything and then they end up usually doing nothing and we don't want to do that. So few in number. Number two, make them smarter goals. And he goes through some specifics in that to help us understand what that is. One, a smarter goal is one that's more specific. It's not just, oh, I want to run some this year. It'd be, no, I want to run one mile a day this year. It'd be a specific goal so you know when you attained it or not. Measurable is the second point, which is you can't manage what you can't measure. So again, if you had a goal, I want to save more money this year, that's hard to judge. If you said, I want to save $5,000 more this year than last year, then it's a specific target you're shooting for. And so you're able to see, did I accomplish it? Or how am I doing each month going toward that goal? The next point is actionable. Every goal should start with an action verb. Quit, run, finish, eliminate. A bad example is if you were to say, be more consistent in blogging. A good example would be write two blog posts per week. Very specific, measurable, and there's action to it. It's something I'm doing specifically each week. Risky. A good goal should stretch you, but not too much. Um, if you had a business and you said, I want to increase sales by 2%, that's a goal to have. But if you said, I want to increase sales by 10%, something it's big, but it's not too big. It's not 50%, but it's not so little that it's hard to even know if you did it or not. Another one is the goal should be time keyed. Every goal needs a date associated with it. If you're going to lose 20 pounds this year, it needs, I'm going to lose 20 pounds by June 30th. And then you can go back from there going, that means I need to lose a half a pound a week until then. And so you, you start to pull it in where you can see, I can do this, that this is possible. He says then also it needs to be exciting. You should be personally excited about achieving the goal. You know, pick things that you go, man, that would be great if I could do this whatever it might be. If I can memorize one Bible verse a week, faithfully this year or at the end of the year, I know 52 verses I didn't know before. And then lastly, he says, it needs to be relevant. Your goal should be relevant or aligned with your values, your season in life, and your other goals. So that's something only you know. So as you sit down with your spouse or by yourself, to kind of go, what, what's some good goals for me to have to maximize my time? Then he says, number three, the third category is you need to write them down. This is so critical because there's huge power in writing a goal down because you can review it. You can have it by your bed there each night to remember what I'm trying to accomplish. But it, it does something to solidify things in your mind. I was in the restaurant business for years and we had a guest book. And I'd always ask people, you know, did you have a good time tonight as they were leaving? And, oh, we had a wonderful time. And when they said that, I go, I want that to be concrete in their mind. I want to solidify that where they don't forget that. So I'd always ask them, would you mind going over to the guest book and just writing about your experience here tonight? And they said, oh, sure, whatever. And over the years, we had thousands of pages of people writing. Tonight, we had the finest dining experience we have ever had. Or thank you for making our anniversary so special. And I knew what would happen is, I knew that's how they felt. They're just writing down their feelings. But 
if they wrote it down, it kind of commits you to that. Where then if two weeks later, someone says, oh, did you go out to the Mona Lisa restaurant? Yeah, yeah, how'd you like it? Oh, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, where it doesn't just fade in the distance. They'll remember what they wrote. Oh, yeah, that was the finest dining experience I've ever had. And so anyway, but I, I've learned that through experience. When you write things down, it really makes a huge impact. Number four, review them frequently. So put them on the fridge or next to your bed or somewhere where each day you'll be able to look at them and go, how am I doing? Am I being faithful to pursue these things that I thought were important for me to accomplish? Number five, share them selectively. And he encourages people Share them with someone who is committed to helping you achieve them, like your wife or your husband or your kids or, or someone like that. Don't just share them with everybody because most people, the more they share their goals and just talk about them instead of doing them, the less likely they are to accomplish them. Anyway, that's some of the guidelines he put for just the basic principles of kind of laying out goals. Then... Uh, my son-in-law, who helps with Agenda Weekly, Joshua, he wrote this a few years ago, but on five areas to create habits. So you set your goals, but then you also want to create habits. And here's some of the things he talked about that I thought were very valuable. Number one, he says one of the areas you want to create habits is spiritual habits, of course. The most foundational spiritual habit is daily Bible reading and prayer. Are you spiritually thriving or spiritually starving? Do you have a time each day when you open God's word and seek his face? It's so true. Those things, especially spiritual, they don't happen by accident. It's because Satan's going to do everything possible to make sure you don't have a specific time. You don't take the time each day to pray and to read your Bible and, and to do that. And scripture memory is another part of the habits of spiritual growth. And that's what we need to do. Number two, he talks about having physical habits, taking care of your body. And this to me is a really important one because it translates into every other area of your life. I've just noticed people that have physical discipline to exercise, to eat right, to say no to things that aren't good for them or whatever. They seem to be more disciplined in most of the areas of their life. Some of the suggestions he had or like cut sugar from your diet for a month completely where there's no sugar. So you're learning to say no to sugar if that's your weakness. Most of us eat way too much sugar and it's deadly. It's one of the main causes of cancer, diabetes. 40% of adults in America have pre-diabetes right now. 40%. That's from eating too much sugar. Drink half your body weight in ounces of water each day. That's just a healthy thing to do. And we want to take care of our temple because the healthier we are, the better we feel, the more productive we can be to do what God wants us to do. An exercise routine is so helpful. I know I do so much better when I'm faithful to get up early, read my Bible, and exercise. And I try to do that with my kids every day. And I just, I feel so much better. And when I skip that for a week or a month. I'm so tired and sluggish and I don't get near as much done. But again, it helps build one of the keys of life, which is self-control. If you do not have self-control, you're not going to accomplish a fraction of what you would have been able to 
um, if you did have self-control. It's, it's the key to the Christian life. It's able to make yourself do the thing that you should do even when you don't want to and to stop yourself from doing the thing you shouldn't do even when you want to. And so that's a key thing. Number three, he talked about mental habits because, you know, the body, we've got to keep in shape. The soul, we have to feed so we're growing and we're healthy and strong and we're very attentive to that still small voice that God speaks to us through. And then our mind. He encourages you to set goals like read one book a week or two books a month, whatever is possible for you to do. He reads 100 books a year. So it's two full books every week. I'm like, Joshua, how do you do that? And he, he has three books he's always going through at a time. And he reads 10 minutes from each one a few different times during the day, set off 30-minute periods three times a day or whatever. He's just faithful in that. But he has a plan and he accomplishes it because that he learns so much every year. Another one here, have a transformative conversation with someone you admire each week. I think this one is so important. Learn by asking good questions. I think some great ways to do accomplish that one is look to honor your parents or your grandparents if they're still living and they're around by asking them the questions and having a meaningful conversation with them once a week. Older people at your church, I have learned so much from older people during the course of my life. I've always loved older people. Even when I was a young boy, I loved listening to older men talk about things. And it was always so interesting what they learned or what experiences they'd had through their life. But we need to take advantage of the wisdom of others. Um, It's the easiest way to learn is to sit down and gather the wisdom from someone else. Most of the time, if we're learning something ourselves, it's the hard way. We learn, oh boy, I'm never doing that again. We don't want to learn that way. We want to learn the easy way, the wise way, by observing others, by reading the book of Proverbs, and things like that. Another thing he says here to help just build mental habits and disciplines, take a few hours a week to learn a new skill, like self-defense or gardening, carpentry, public speaking, whatever things you might be interested in that you're not very good at, but you'd like to be. And go, okay, I'm going to spend a couple hours a week doing that thing. And over time, it's amazing what a difference it makes. If you're a younger person and interested in a musical instrument, if you just committed to 30 minutes a day of diligent, purposeful practice, you'd be amazed in one year how, wow, I got so much better. Uh, Several of my kids are really interested in music and instruments, and I've seen when they finally weren't having to be told anymore, you need to go practice for 30 minutes a day, where they wanted to, how quickly they got so good on those instruments, as opposed to when you're just, yeah, you're checking off the 30 minutes, but you're not engaged and passionate about the 30 minutes. You have to be all there to get the most out of whatever you're doing in life. And so anyway, that's something. Here's something I used to teach my students uh, when I was a teacher years ago. There's 17 usable hours in a day because you have to sleep and, and you need to sleep at least seven hours a night. So there's 17 usable hours. And if you live to be 85 years old, that means every one hour a day of those 17 hours you spent doing something ends up being five years of your life nonstop, every waking moment for five years, every one hour. So 
it's really encouraging. If you read your Bible one hour a day, when you died and you stand before God, you could say, well, as you're given an account of your time, I spent five years reading your word. It's amazing. If, again, if you're playing the piano, I spent five years practicing. If you spend an hour a day with your wife or your husband, I spent five years nonstop, every waking moment, investing in my marriage to make it healthy and strong and a blessing and a good example to others. But anyway, that's a good little guidelines that always help me realize a little bit consistently is a lot in the long run. Number four, relational habits. Life is filled with people, family members, co-workers, fellow believers, and the lost. God placed us here to impact others. Boy, did he. Here's a few habit ideas. Do a fun activity with one sibling or child each week. For years, every Monday morning, I would take one of my children out to breakfast. And I had nine kids, so it'd be nine weeks until their turn. But I remember how they'd always, uh, it's so funny, well, it's only seven more weeks until my breakfast. <laughs> but that investment, even something that minimal, and there was a little breakfast place, the orchard house down the road from our home in the country. And we had so much fun there talking and, and just spending time together. It, it, was, it was a very special memories. Create a couple more family traditions, routines, such as a Saturday afternoon walk or Friday evening family night, a date night with your spouse, a game night, maybe a reading night. We try to read a lot of nights, you know, at least 30 minutes together. We'll be working through a good book that's about inspirational people that, that were faithful in their Christian walk, and they're just inspiring like God smuggler type of ones where you, you see how God used regular people to accomplish so many great things. And hopefully it will inspire the children to want to be that type of person when they grow up. And it inspires me. It makes me go, oh God, I want to be faithful. I want to be one of those people. But that's another thing you can do is, is kind of, again, to build relational habits, work on setting up times to spend with individuals to build those relationships. Find one person a week to write an encouraging text or letter to. Maybe just go through and just encourage them. Visit a mall with a friend or family member weekly or monthly to pass out tracts and share the gospel. One of my best friends growing up was a guy that was a diabetic, and slowly at age 21, he went blind, completely blind from being a great athlete. His name was Brent, and he would have me drive him down to the mall once a week, and he would say, just walk me around, and I would have him on my arm, and we'd walk around, and he goes, do you see anybody sitting anywhere on a bench or anywhere? And I'd go, yeah, yeah, there's someone over here by themselves. And so we'd walk over there, and then when we got there, I'd say, okay, Brent, we're, we're right there with them. And he would talk to them. He's totally blind. He'd say, hello, I just I want a minute of your time, and he'd share the gospel with them and give them a track, and, um, and that was the inspiration to me, and it helped me do that more faithfully myself. But there's a lot of things we can do to build relationships with others while we're doing things that are productive and that, that are um, helping us strengthen our family unit, strengthen our marriage, strengthen our community, strengthen our church, be involved in those things. And the fifth area to build good habits is the financial area. Money is a simple but powerful tool. 
Money can be used to bless others, to create margin, and to provide for our family. Jesus talked about money more than anything else except the kingdom of God. In fact, 11 of his 39 parables are about finances. Isn't that amazing? Think of creative ways as a family to start new income streams so you're being more productive, but so you can bless others. Maybe say, hey, we're going to start a little business and all the proceeds from this part-time thing we're doing are going to go to the missionaries our church supports or to some local family we know they need help and we want to be the ones to help them. Every dollar is a good little budgeting tool. It's an app you can get where it helps you keep track of every dollar that God gives you and where it goes. And these are things we're working on as a family to be more and more faithful in as well. Um, work on investing a fixed amount of money each month. And I'm going to talk more about some of that later. But, but, but realizing I need to be a good steward of this and I need to store up for the years to come like an ant does for the winter time because we're in such uncertain times. It's very important. And then lastly, he said, create a monthly generosity fund to bless others. A little fund where you're always tucking money away there that's for other people. It's not for you. And so when you see the need, you have something to give to the need. And I've done that several times with people, even sometimes strangers I met where I just felt God wants me to help them. And I'm like, here, I've got an envelope of money that I want them to have. This is from God. Use it wisely. But I felt he wanted me to give this to you. Ask yourself, is there one bad habit that needs to go to make room for a good habit? And I want to encourage you in this. I think all of us have time suckers things that consume a tremendous amount of our time that are not very productive or beneficial um, and are really not helping us steward the time we've been given on this earth. TV, computers, social media, the phone. The average America on those four things together spends nine hours a day. Nine hours a day. We wonder why we don't have any time. I think 100 years ago, before any of those, everyone had a lot more time. We have plenty of time. We need to get control of it. There's 168 hours in a week. And when you prioritize, here's the things that are most important. And you make sure those things are being accomplished before you do the things that are just fun or just, well, I like that or I like this. That's irrelevant in the in the big scheme of things. And I found the more you're faithful in the areas you should be, like spending time with your wife and your children, the more you really do enjoy those things, where then they become a blessing where I'm like, I don't want to go back to wasting time playing golf or whatever it was that used to consume my time. This I enjoy more now, but it's also, I can see the blessing of it. I can see it's bearing good fruit and it's making a difference. Habits are about doing what we know God wants us to do, not what we feel like doing, is what he ends with, and I agree with that. So we went through five principles of setting goals, five keys to building good habits, and now being prepared for the unexpected in 2023, I want to talk about just five practical ways to prepare. And before I do that, I just want to review for a second all the indicators that say 2023 could have some rough days in it for all of us and the people of the world. It just could because there's so many things going on. Here's some things that I heard this week. 25% 
of everyone in America aged 25 to 55. So one-fourth of that group, 25 to 55, the most productive years of your life with the most energy, the most vigor, the health, um, are not working. They don't even have a job. And yet they say our unemployment rate's at 3% or something. 25% have given up. The unwanted jobs are the ones society requires to continue. Here's what happens. You get people that are not getting the skills necessary to do the jobs that are tough jobs, but necessary jobs. Your whole culture will start collapsing. But I also learned, oh, here's one of the reasons why 25% of the 25 to 55-year-olds do not have a job. Here's some statistics on our welfare system today. <laughs> this is amazing. A family of four, not working, in 14 states in America, they can get $80,000 a year in welfare benefits. $80,000 a year. Probably many of you watching this go, I don't make $80,000 a year. <laughs> That's way above the national average. 14 states, that's how many benefits you can get. Three states, it's over $100,000 a year. Washington, Massachusetts, and New Jersey. Over $100,000 is available in different welfare programs. If you sign up for them all, you'll be getting over hundred grand a year to do nothing. Well, whatever you reward in life, you're going to get more of, and whatever you penalize, you're going to get less of. The simple fundamental principle of the universe. And I just, I saw that and go, that's crazy. And that's, okay, that's 17 states I dealt with, but all the ones, most of them, you can get at least 30 to 40,000. That's why people aren't working. They've lost the character and the dignity and the morality to be someone that goes, I want to work. I don't want to sit home and play video games all day. That it gets so boring. It's so meaningless. I want to do something with my life. We've so dumbed them down and we've so just um, exalted leisure and exalted uh, the goal of life is to save up as much money as you can so you can retire in the last 30 years of your life, do nothing. <laughs> we've acted like that's the goal. So these young people go, well, if I can do nothing right now, why would I work? When It's so sad, but we're going to pay the consequences of that, and we are paying the consequences of that. Because of that, when you have that going on, and then you have these other things, open borders, we're probably in the first four years of Biden, it's going to be over 10 million illegals coming in. There's already 20 plus million here. So you have over 30 some million people that are not part of the system, but they're getting all the benefits of the system. If they go to a hospital and have a baby, you have to deliver their baby. And they're not paying you a dime. If their kids show up at the public school, you have to educate them, which is $12,000 a year. And it's more than that because of all the free meals. Now they have breakfast, lunch, and dinner served at almost all the schools in America. So you've got that. And then you have 25% not working. So the other people that are working is 75%. You're going to have to tax them even more to cover all those benefits, which then discourages them from working because they're like, I'm working so hard and hardly making anything. My friend that does nothing is making way more than I am. Inflation. 17% last year, actual inflation, if you go off the 1980s numbers they use, they keep trying to fudge it around so it looks less and less. But well, the first three years of Biden, the total is going to be at least 
inflation. 50%, the Biden administration. So if your wages didn't go up 50%, which they didn't, you're poor. You're going to have a harder time making ends meet. But that's something they planned. John Maynard Keynes, who is the father of our modern economic system, a, de a debt-based system, said, we're going to use inflation to rob the wealth of the people. That's what we're going to do. And he goes, and not one in a million is going to be smart enough to see what we're doing. We're robbing the wealth from them by creating inflation. Then we got COVID shots and the deaths and the sicknesses and the cancers are just skyrocketing nationwide. Well, and then we've got Walgreens, I just saw this week, is starting to carry the abortion pill. So you might not be able to have abortions in the 17 states or whatever that outlaw, but you can go to Walgreens and take a pill and it'll have an abortion for you. Well, you're, so you're killing off your young. You're letting people come in that aren't capable of providing for themselves because they don't speak the language. They don't know how we do things. You also see they're working to create food shortages, clearly closing down farms, um, making uh, farmers that buy fertilizer have to pay so much for fertilizer. We've got energy shortages purposefully. We've cut down energy production to make sure we have shortages. Lawlessness. They're, what they're doing here, this is key. And we've talked about this, but this is what's happening this year, 2023, that we're heading into. And that's why we need to have goals. We need to have good habits. And we need to be preparing for the future. And, and I'll talk more details about things we can be doing to do that. But here's the reality of the world we're in. The, the digital currency coming out probably this year, that's their goal, they're wanting to collapse the system at some point when they get that. And because they want you to have to have the universal basic income where everyone's on the dole. You literally cannot make ends meet because of inflation, because of the high tax rates. You need a kickback from the government where then everyone's hooked into them um, and they have total control of you through the digital currency, but also through you got to get your check every month because they've so deflated the money. You can't make ends meet even though you're working hard and you're making good money, what used to be good money, but it's not anymore because of inflation. But I was talking about this with my parents. And do you remember how I've told you many times, they always kind of prepare you for what's coming in the future by talking about it right now. Like in 2017 in January, Anthony Fauci told President Trump, you will deal with a pandemic during your presidency. And the reason they do that, it's a red flag to us, but most people aren't smart enough or aren't thinking enough to go, wait a minute, how, how would he know that? They think the opposite. When, the, when it finally happened then in 2020, Anthony Fauci said, I told you, I knew this was going to happen. It's just long overdue. And so we're like, oh yeah, I do remember him saying something about this. Oh, okay, he must have not had anything to do with it. I'm sure he's not funding gain-of-function research or anything like that. He had warned us already in the past, and we're that dumb, but they always do that on everything. Just a month ago, Bill Gates had another pandemic conference, and he said, we're preparing for the 2025 pandemic right now. <laughs> uh, let me just tell you, when they have an event 201 talking about a coronavirus pandemic in October of 2019, and then a month later it starts, that's not an accident. <laughs> and when he has a conference right now 
a month ago is talking about, yeah, yeah, it's 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 going to be a big one in 2025. <laughs> well, let me tell you, it will be a big one in 2025. And they'll say, see, I told you so. We knew this was coming. Well, how'd you know it was coming? Well, we just knew. <laughs> I'm just telling you, they, they always prepare. Well, here's what's interesting. The universal basic income I was just talking about. We've talked about it many times. My mother told me, and this is amazing to me, Back in 1955, when she was at a national debate competition for college, she was in college at the time, the topic was, quote, listen to this, 1955, resolve that there should be a guaranteed annual wage. That's what the debate topic was for all the college debaters in 1955, resolve that there should be a guaranteed annual wage. They were already planting the seeds back there. Who are all the national debate college students usually? They're all the politicians of the future. Most people that love arguing, they go into politics. <laughs> and so they knew, no, we're going to plant this seed now. So it's not some foreign thing to them. And that we're going to resolve that there should be, this is a right thing. We want all of you to debate why this is right. So you start getting those ideas in your mind. That was just amazing to me when she told me that. Because I know they always plan, they always prepare, they always plant seeds. But they are just so consistent in this. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. But we need to be prepared. And one of the episodes we had called Preparing for 2030 would be a good one to watch again and take some notes. In the midst of all these bad things, though, as I go into this last section of things you can do, Here's the good news. If we're prepared, then we will be ready. We will be not shaken or not fearful or not, uh, oh, what are we going to do? We'll be confident in that God is going to take care of us, but he gave us the wisdom to see the storm clouds and be ready. And, and what happens is when things start unraveling, people are looking for answers. They're looking for hope. And as a Christian, we have hope. It's the greatest time ever when things are going rough to share the gospel. And I encourage you in that. We had that as an action item. But I want you to, as part of your making 2023 a great year, a productive year, a meaningful year, I want you to write down the names of five people that you know you need to share the gospel with. And I want you to start praying for them every single day and I want you to set up appointments to go have lunch with them or whatever and start doing that. And I've got more about that in the action points below. So go look at some of those things. But we need to be faithful in sharing the gospel this year and every year. But we need to get better at it. If you're not good at it, you're, oh, I don't know what to do. We have a link below to a course you can take through Living Waters, Ray Comfort. And it helps you just easily learn to explain by sharing the God's laws with people their need for a Savior. And what it really means to repent and believe so that they're really saved. They're not just thinking they're saved because they said a little prayer or something. We talked about goals. We talked about habits. And now we're talking about five practical ways to prepare for 2023. And some of these kind of overlap, but here they are. One, prepare financially. Be on a budget. Like I said, I think that's so important. Spend less. Cut back everywhere you can. If you have unused memberships or you eat out a lot, 
cut that stuff. It's so much cheaper to eat at home. Hard times are coming. They just are. Every indicator says they are. So be ready. Save at least 10% of your income each month. Just tuck it away to be faithful. So you, again, you're ready to, to, to take care of your own family, but you're ready to help others as well. Build up a six-month emergency fund in your financial assets and things. Make sure you have enough where you could survive for six months if the stock market collapsed or you lost your job or there was a natural disaster or you had an injury or sickness or there's supply chain shortages or as inflation increases, you're, you're having a harder time you know, paying the bills. Just, just cut back in every area possible. Be thrifty. Have 2023 be the year of thrift and purposefulness. Number two, prepare agriculturally. What does that mean? Grow some of your own food or all of your own food if you can, but start, um, you start small, but we need to start learning to take care of ourselves. It's rewarding. It's fun. I love you. Get to see God's hand in it. When you plant a garden and you get to see these little seeds turn into these plants and that have fruit on them or vegetables or whatever, and they all you did was add water. And, and this seed was like a little machine to create tomatoes. And this seed is a little thing to create, you know, potatoes or, you know, beans or something. You're like, that's a miracle. The seed is a miracle to me. I'm always amazed at it. That this little machine, you just add water to it and it will create something. Strawberries, blueberries, whatever. And, um, but, but get involved in that and learning how to preserve food. It's a great family activity. It's fun. It helps the children feel like they're being productive and they're doing something meaningful. And then they see they're part of that family. They're an active part of helping. Every time we've canned a lot or whatever, I remember one year we did, you know, 250 quarts of applesauce from our apple trees. And all winter, every time we pulled out a quart, I said, kids, who... Who, who put this up for us? And we, we did that. Yes, I, that's right. God provided the apple tree and we made good use of it. We're living off of it all winter. And it was a lot of fun. Most of the food produced by big ag is terrible for you. It, it's so filled with chemicals and pesticides and all the things that, that we need to start working on our health through eating better. And one of the cheapest ways to eat better is to grow your own food. If you buy all the organic stuff at the grocery store, uh, which is worth doing, but it's very expensive. We've learned we need to produce as much as we can for ourselves to save that money. Agricultural production worldwide is dropping, and we've talked about it. It's purposeful. Uh, they are doing this on purpose. There's going to be tremendous famines in the near future and shortages in the future. And America might not suffer as much as many of the countries of the world are going to, but that's a reality. Number three, you need to prepare physically. Kind of goes into the physical habits thing we talked about, but we desperately need to take care of ourselves. Christians should be fit, active, healthy people. We need to take care of this temple. Eating healthy helps you avoid so many health issues. Most of the health issues that we deal with today in our country or people abusing their own body by eating garbage, by not exercising. If you look at all the top ailments, they're all self-inflicted. And that's ridiculous. 
you need daily exercise. I don't care how old you are. You need to get on a routine where it's hiking, biking, weights, walking, whatever. You're, you're doing something to keep that blood flowing, to keep those muscles flexible and useful. Because in the bottom line is we need you. As I travel the country and I have since I made the first film in 2010, so many meeting places I've gone back to later, a lot of the people that set up the meetings for me, they're not living anymore. And some of them were just really old, but others weren't. But we need you, our country needs you, and God needs you to live as long as you can, being obedient to him so you've maximized the impact of your life where you accomplish as much as possible uh, for him. And it's so important. Cut the junk food. 40% of adults, like I mentioned earlier, are pre-diabetic. That is self-inflicted. It saves money too. Junk food is so expensive. Um, don't be a couch potato. Take vitamins. Those that are 50 plus, you know, don't give up on these areas. Just be faithful a little at a time to build up. Take care of yourself so you can have a long, productive life and get a plan and stick to it. You will feel so much better. I watched a video once. It was years ago. I don't know if it was 60 Minutes or something, but it was an old folks home. And they had a group of people that were 80 years of age and older. And they put them on an actual physical weightlifting program with just little weights, just doing exercises each day. And they had them do it for three months or whatever. And then they interviewed those people. And I'll never forget, it made a big impact on me. It was probably when I was in my 20s. So it was, you know, 30 years ago when I watched it. But I remember them all saying, I feel 10 years younger. I cannot believe it. And then they had all these things for them to, to stretch and, and show how much more limber they had become because they were using their muscles. A lot of times, because you don't use your muscles as you get older, atrophy sets in and you can't use your muscles then. You're like, I can barely move, I can barely walk. But these people, as they slowly learn to start using the muscles again, just with light weights, all of a sudden their muscles got more flexible again. But they all felt so good. I remember when I watched that and I was in my 20s, I said, I'm going to always take care of myself. I, I've learned from that now. That makes a difference. You get old real quick when you act old and you stay a lot younger than you are when you say, no, I'm, I'm going to do my best to take care of this temple that I've been given. All right, just two more and we're done. Number four, prepare mentally. Slow down the hectic pace. Prioritize what's important, like we talked about, time with God, family, um, others. Enjoy the simple things. Have a grateful heart. I think that's one of the greatest things you can do. We're in the midst of whatever's going on, however bad things are, you have so many things to be grateful for. That you're alive, you're healthy. If you're a Christian, that you know where you're going when you die. You have that hope of heaven. But I just, I've seen that. Be kind one to another. A kind, loving heart toward others stops you from fixating on yourself so much. And you realize, wow, how meaningful life can be when you're focused out instead of focused in. Talk to God about everything. I encourage you in this. That's the best thing you can do for your mental health. Don't worry. Pray. <laughs> Just talk to him about everything. Work on not wasting time in your day. If you're driving somewhere by yourself, turn the radio off and start talking to God about everything. 
as if he was your best friend because he should be your best friend. He's always there. He's always listening. And I've, I've tried throughout my life to get better and better at that, just maximizing that time of just talking with him. And I'm so thankful that I have. Don't worry. Trust and obey. Do hard things that build toughness and resilience. We need it. The more hard things you do, the more self-control you get, the more discipline you have, and the more you're going to be able to accomplish in the future. Discipline yourself in every area possible. We live in a stressed out culture. Don't be part of it. Say, no, thank you. Turn off the TV, go take a walk, go play a game with the kids and have a grateful heart. Don't let all the bad news vex your spirit. If you're starting to get vexed, and I try not to vex you on this, I try to educate you but not vex you, and I hope I don't do that. But turn some things off for a little bit. Just, no. That's why we kind of made Agenda Weekly. I thought people need to know what's going on, but they don't need to sit in front of the TV 30 hours a week watching the news. I will invest my time in trying to figure out everything that's going on that's important and then have the ability to, to give that to them in as short as content as possible so they can use their week to be productive. That's what we're trying to do here. I hope it's been a blessing to you. We're thankful for you. But I just, that's, that's our goal is where we're kind of your main news source. It's not that you can't listen to other things, but you can't spend 30 hours a week listening to other things. Otherwise, your life's going to be gone and you're going to say, well, I spent most of my life just staring at the TV. I didn't do anything. I didn't talk to my neighbor. I didn't write a letter to my congressman. I didn't you know, do the things that I'm here to do. Be actively doing what's right and know you're making an eternal impact. Everything you did that was the right thing for the right reason, God is going to bless. Don't waste your time on social media. Build real relationships with real people. And number five, prepare with a plan. In all these different things we've talked about, get a plan in those areas so you will build good habits and you will have a very successful year and the most productive year you've ever had. Sit down and write a plan in each of these areas. Where are you now? Where do you need to be? Specifically, how do you get there? Write down some steps to getting there. God wants us to use our time wisely. Be prepared for the future like the wise ant that stores up for the winter. He wants us to be good stewards of our time, our treasures, and our talents. We will give an account and I know the more faithful we are, the, 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 the more grateful we will be when we stand before him one day. Get organized, be purposeful, and be excited about what God is going to do with your little loaves and fishes. Well, I just, I don't have much influence. I don't have, that's okay. <laughs> Give him your little nothing. And I think 2023 is going to be a great year. And it's going to be exciting to see how things unfold and how God uses us right where he has placed us to make a difference. It is vital that we give him 2023 and we write a plan out of how we're going to be faithful with it. And then we just do it. It's so important. I'm thankful for you. I'm excited about this year. We're going to learn about a lot of different things together and, and try to continue to prepare you to educate others, to influence those around you that God's placed in your circle of influence, to be faithful in sharing the gospel, 
and to just be fulfilling whatever God has placed you here to do. And I don't know exactly what it is, but he will let you know if you're willing and if you're asking. I'm confident of that because he's done that in my life so faithfully. It just takes a willing heart to say, what would you have me to do? And then he is faithful to say, here's what I would like you to do. And it's what gives us a meaningful life. And then when we get to heaven, all of us will be able to give a testimony of all the things God did through us and through our little loaves and fishes and through us being faithful to trust him with tomorrow. And it's going to be something wonderful we all have to look forward to that are Christians. So our verse for this week is another short one, but a good one. So important in these uncertain times where everything is, you know, up in the air. We're like, how's it going to turn out this year? You know, are they going to be successful in doing the things they're doing? And it, here's a perfect one. First Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Do the things that he would have you to do to be wise, to prepare. But then if things are burdening you down, give them to him. Cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Don't ever forget that. And until next week, God bless you.